This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, stackers, here at the beginning of the year, Navy Federal and our Stacking Benjamins team would like to salute our troops who've kept us safe this last year. Go think of service member people. Thank you, OG, for your service. Many moons ago. And thanks to Navy Federal for not only supporting our troops, but who support our troops who are all trying to protect us and Stacks and Benjamins. Where's the kaboom? There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamins Show. Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and are you looking to try your hand at real estate investing here in 2021? Or maybe you're already invested in real estate? Either way, on today's show, we've got you covered. Here to help guide us through everything is Myra Oliver, who is the author of Down Home Money. Plus, is the average American saving enough for retirement? During our headline segment, we'll discuss a headline that details just how much the average American is saving and whether it's enough or not. Later, we'll toss out the Haven Lifeline to Josh, who's wondering if he can still contribute to his 2020 Roth IRA before tax day, if he pays taxes in January. And my trivia will not disappoint. And now, two guys who might even consider getting a basement of their own in 2021. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-G. Not likely, because who can argue with free rent? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Stacky Benjamin Show for another week of hilarity. I'm Joe Salcihi, Average Joe Money on, on Twitter. I feel like when I say another week of hilarity, OG, there's like a little asterisk by that. And if you go down to the bottom of the page, it said your results may vary. <laughs> a little italics. What we need is that guy from like Micro Machines to like rattle off a big disclosure. Da, 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 da. This show may give you heart palpitations. I was listening to one of those pharmaceutical ads recently and thinking about all this discussion about the vaccine. And I don't want to talk about the vaccine, but this is just some random drug. And I said, this drug may give you kidney failure, may give you something else, may kill you, may do all these things. And everybody's like, cool, give me some of that. I'll just take my acne. Thanks. <laughs> hey, uh, you want to hear something else that'd be fun to stick with? Want to hear something amazing, OG? Pay your credit cards off every month. Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of the first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. And how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing because of all the places Discover's accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report, limitations apply. 
my daughter's first credit card was a uh, Discover card and still loves it today. Speaking of love, we've got Myra Oliver coming down to the basement. And what I love about Myra is that, uh, and, and, and I'm sure we're going to hear this, that number one, if I had Myra's energy, I would just get rid of, I'd throw my energy in the trash and take hers. I'm like, nope, mine versus hers, take hers. But number two, you hear all these people that say, well, maybe if I just knew a little more, maybe if I had a little more education, maybe if I, if I studied up on that a little bit, Myra Oliver is a hairdresser who's a multimillionaire. Her husband was a cop and the two of them, you know what they did? They did this crazy thing, OG called get started. So Myra bringing it with down home money today, talking about how they became wealthy, but first we've got a couple headlines. So let's get moving. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamin's Headlines. I think you and I, OG, must have seen this first headline about the same time. This is uh, from the Associated Press. IRS says Prince's estate undervalued by $80 million. Man, what a mess Prince's estate has been. I was, first of all, I was surprised to see the word Prince in a headline. I was like, what? Prince? Didn't he pass away a long time ago? Yeah. Yeah, he certainly did. And they're still fighting over his estate because he did nothing, OG. It's just amazing to see this happen over and over and over. A major one that we talked about a couple of uh, a couple of weeks ago, a, couple, a month and a half ago, I guess, was Tony Shea from Zappos. This is why it's really important. It's not just important to make sure your stuff goes where you want it to go. That's obviously really important, but it's also important to make sure that you've got a process and a person or people and a team that can help kind of guide this through the legal side of it. Because when you have an estate, now listen, this year, right now, if you're paying federal estate taxes, your estate has to be north of $23 million. That's all in. That's all your insurance, all of your assets, all of, you know, like the whole net, net, net is 23. So I get that that's not as many people, right? That's not going to be very many people. But every state now, because they're getting cut out of the fact that there's no estate tax at the federal level, and usually the federal folks will kind of give a little kickback to the states, individual states are enacting their own along the way. So you got to be careful. If you go, ah, I don't have 20 million bucks. Or I don't even have 10 million bucks. I don't have 5 million. So what do I care? Your state may have something. And even if you don't have any estate tax issues, like obviously Prince is going to have here or his estate's going to have, there's still all the other stuff you have to deal with. Who gets grandma's ring? What do you do with the leftover mortgage? Who's going to handle the, the sale of the house? You know, all that sort of stuff is being left to somebody. And if you don't pick that person in advance, the court system will do it for you and charge you a whole bunch of money. I mean, this is a $40 million thing going on, right? Because you got to pay the government half of your money over over $20 million in estate taxes. So if they if he, if they said it's worth $80 million, the IRS says, no, it's worth 160. 163. You know, so it's an $80 million difference. That's a $40 million tax difference, you know? So, and I'm not saying that it would be, the outcome would be any different, you know, from a valuation standpoint, maybe the IRS is being overbearing and, or maybe the executors are being, you know, are kind of under accounting stuff. I don't know, you know, what the story is there, but at the end of the well, day. They have, yeah, they have professionals now helping them, but these people were appointed later on. The people managing the state is Comerica Bank and Trust now. So they have. Oh yeah. And they, they want to settle it fast. Not. 
Right. Because no. since they get paid based on how much money is in the trust department. Well, that's what I was just thinking was not only is it an issue of Princeton choose these people, he didn't have a plan ahead of time to minimize the tax, but now he has a court system with lawyers that are very happy to charge by the hour an estate administrator in Comerica Bank and Trust that is, and this isn't riffing on Comerica Bank. Well, they've got a profit motive. Yeah. Yeah. This is any bank is going to have this same motive. Everybody's being paid by the hour. You think this is going to drag on for a while? (laughs) Yeah. You think? Listen to this too. The IRS also ordered a $6.4 million accuracy related penalty on Prince's estate, citing a substantial undervaluation of assets documents show. So the IRS just slapped another $6.4 million. Yeah, because you weren't even in the ballpark. You weren't even close. Yes. So we're going to hit you with another penalty. An estate plan is not inexpensive. It's not expensive. It's not inexpensive. It's just something that you have to do. And, and if you've got young kids at home or you've got a whole bunch of stuff that needs to get dealt with, listen, if you're single and you don't have a lot of stuff, I wouldn't worry about it. I would just be like, yeah, whatever. Make sure beneficiaries are on your investment accounts and your 401ks and stuff like that and be done with it. Once you start getting into the realm of I've got kids or grandkids or I've got some serious amounts of stuff and it doesn't have to be 20 million serious. If you're not having somebody else help you with this and put this together and kind of play this game out in advance. And that's really what estate planning is. It's sitting down and going, okay, if this bad thing happens, or more specifically, when this bad thing happens, because, you know, yeah. eventually we all get hit by the proverbial bus. Spoiler. You got to say hashtag spoiler. <laughs> hashtag spoiler alert. You know, you got to play this game out and say like, okay, if it happens today, what do I want to have happen with my stuff? And what do I want to have happen with my kids and my grandkids? And You know, and you can do anything that you want, but it's impossible to do it once you're, you know, flattened by the city bus and laying there like flat Stanley, as it were. So, Stanley. I don't know where. No, you, did you guys do Flat Stanley when you were when your kids were in school? No, but I don't know where you come up with this. No, you don't know where Flat Stanley. Is. I have any idea. So people know what Flat Stanley is. It's usually a picture that kids sometime in elementary school will mail to other kids, and then Stanley get travels around the world. But it's ah, Flat Stanley. Ah. It's like a little, you know, little thing. But anyway, once you're a Flat Stanley, no estate planning anymore. Done. Two lines at the bottom of this piece stick out to me about the importance of doing exactly what you're talking about. Oh, gee. <laughs> like, where do you come up with this crap? <laughs> yeah, I think, anyway, go ahead. I have no idea. With Prince's probate case dragging on, his six sibling heirs have grown increasingly unhappy, particularly as the estate has doled out tens of millions of dollars to lawyers and consultants. Weird how that all works out. That's number one. Line down at the bottom, Comerica, a Dallas-based financial services giant, has asked the tax court to hold a trial in St. Paul. A trial could dramatically lengthen the settlement of Prince's estate and generate more legal fees at the expense of Prince's heirs. Dennis Patrick, an estate planning attorney at DeWitt LLP in Minneapolis, who's not involved in the case, said. I had an estate planning attorney tell me one time we were talking about... uh uh, helping clients and I uh, having lunch or something like that. And I, and I said, do you ever get frustrated when you can, when, when you have a meeting and you know, you can do something for a potential client and they just say no, or they don't want to do it or whatever. And you just kind of feel like, ah, gosh, there's one chance I had to like really help these people. And he goes, nope, don't care. 
I said, really? Gosh, it sometimes bothers me. He goes, he said, nope, it doesn't bother me at all. You know why? Because my business card is the last one in their drawer. And when they get hit by the proverbial bus, kids are going through their stuff and they go, oh, must be working with this guy. And they pull the business card out and they call me and go, hey, did you know my mom and dad? And he goes, sure did. Come on in. (laughs) He goes, the beautiful thing about probate, as you just said, is that the government sets the rate. And the government rate, wait for it, Joe. I think you remember this, but it's going to knock your socks off. The government acceptable rate for most probate cases is about 7% of the estate. Cha-ching. So, you know, you can pay four grand for the estate plan. Or you die with two million bucks and you're the attorney gets 140,000. They don't care. People, people are battling all day long over the 0.01, you know, Vanguard charges. People battling all but the I'll time. But I'll be dead. What do I care? about? This? That's right. That's right. So that's another one of my favorites. Yeah. Just like when you're talking about, how, how do we plan for a disability? No, I'm safe. I'm a really safe guy. I don't, I don't think I need that. Go on the Reddit thread, idiots in cars. <laughs> And that's, how, that's what you have to remember. I was about to go on to the second piece, but I think that the, uh, the key here, you can do a basic will, which I think makes a lot of sense. So let's make this actionable. OG, do a basic will, makes a lot of sense. You got a very simple estate. At the very least, you're telling people exactly what you want to have happen with your estate. Also some ancillary documents that we like. There are two different things that you sign. One is a durable power of attorney, gives somebody the ability to manage your affairs if you're unable. Let's say you're disabled and you can't talk to the attorneys. And then the second one is a healthcare power of attorney. Those will often be two different people, by the way. One who knows hospitals, you know, Cheryl, my spouse works in healthcare. So she's several family members, healthcare power of attorney, because she can speak that language. And then uh, a financial power of attorney to deal with the bank and your assets. Get them done. Anything I missed there that uh, people should also have? Got to make sure your beneficiaries are right. It, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Go fix the beneficiary so the ex-spouse is no longer on the on the 401k. Hey, it's not even that. I mean, companies lose them. They have computer outages, you know, errors in their paperwork. I mean, it's just, I can't tell you how many hundreds of times we've gone through beneficiaries with clients on the computer or something. And they're like, oh, we don't have to do this. It's all right. And I'm like, and who's Alice? Uh, Alice, uh, that's my mom. Why? Why is your mom listed as your 401k beneficiary? Uh, it should be my wife and kids. I've been married 32 years. My mom's been gone for 10. And I'm like, yeah. And and you have a will, right? Yeah, it's like, uh, uh, they screwed up. Like, I'm sure they did. But let's get it right. No, but seriously, my understanding then is if you still have your mom on that, even if you have a will, the 401k supersedes the, yeah, the, the, the will. It so it goes to mom, becomes a part of mom's estate. Yeah, but mom's dead. So now it goes to dad. Dad's dead. Now it goes to the kids. You're dead. <laughs> so it goes to your siblings. It, go, it goes to your siblings. They're dead. It goes to their kids. So now your kids see their cousins. <laughs> with your money. Ha- having a party with your stuff. Yes, get that done. Our second headline comes to us from uh, The Motley Fool. This is written by Catherine Brock. The average 401k savings rate, will it really fund retirement? Uh, No. Easy. (laughs) Done. And that's our second headline. I'm exhausted after that one. Uh, Catherine writes, how much are you saving for retirement? Experts recommend socking away at least 10% of your salary. But a recent report from the plan sponsor, Council of America, 
Shocker suggests many Americans are short of that benchmark. Just a bit outside. The PSEA, which helps employers manage their retirement plans, concludes the average American worker contributes just 7.6% of income to workplace retirement plan. And you have to wonder, is that enough to secure a comfortable retirement? And then they go into a deeper dive in the numbers that says, yeah, you can do that. Oh, gee, you actually on 7.6, you, you might be able to do it. However, why wouldn't you just start with your goal? Call me crazy. Start with your goal. Timeline it back to today. See what you need to do and do that. Call me nuts. Yeah, you're too crazy. Don't do it that way. Just randomly throw money at the problem. But these benchmarks in the first place, this 10% benchmark that everybody talks about with your 401k, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that still exists. And maybe it's because we're in this bubble where we talk about this stuff all the time that I hear 10%. I'm like, really? Does anybody use that anymore? Apparently so. Yeah. Well, I mean, ultimately, I think if you're starting out, if you're trying to get a sense of where do I begin? You know, if you're talking to a recent graduate or I just got my debt paid off and I'm trying to figure out like, what you know, what should I start with without trying to put too much effort into it? If you start in that 10 or 15% range, you're going to be on the right track. But I think it's also important at some point in time to do what you're talking about, which is to actually sit down and figure out, well, is it 10 or is it 12? Because I'm going to be super ticked off if it would have been 12, you know, and, 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 and I'm 30 years into it and I'm off by 2%, you know, yeah. this whole time. It's just easier to do when you're making 60 grand a year than 10 years later, 20 years later, 30 years later, trying to make up for all of that time. Just not possible. So if you're swamped at work and you've got a million things going on and the kids are on Zoom all day and you're trying to manage that and you're like, dude, I just need to pick a number right now and I'll do the math later. Yeah, I think it's fine. Pick 10 or 15% if you can. But sooner than later, you want to do the math. Yeah, I love this idea of timelining your goal. And by the way, it ends up being pretty damn fun, right? Once you finally sit down and you do it, I've always found this to be fun. And I don't think it's because I'm a money nerd. I think that it is truly relaxing to know where I'm at, to see where I'm at. And I saw it with enough people when I was a financial planner to know that it is, it is relaxing. It does make you go, okay, I can see the, I can see the path. I know the path is going to change, but I can see it. But for people that that makes them nervous, OG, or people that are way far away, I wouldn't let that math get in your way. I'd do what you're talking. Just do something, Mm -hmm. do something knowing that at some point I should do my own math. Yep. I think one thing we don't want to do the math on is uh, how much our pets have helped us through the pandemic. Mr. Cooper sitting here recording with you and I right now. Mr. Cooper. And I know back home, you and Mrs. OG have uh, pets of your own. Uh, Well, let's be clear. Uh, My son and my wife have a pet. Yes. (laughs) I think uh, if it weren't for Mr. Cooper. Honey is her name. Honey. That's right. Honey. Uh, spent uh, a big part of the pandemic while we were living nomadically, spent it with my mother-in-law and really helped her through the pandemic. She thought she wasn't a cat person. And now she never asks about anybody but the cat when she calls. <laughs> How's Cooper doing? Like, Great, mom. I'm doing good. From the beginning of the pandemic, PetSmart's been an essential retailer, making sure you can get everything your pet needs right when you need it at over 1,600 convenient locations, including the one right off Richmond Road down here in Texarkana, which is where Cheryl and I go to get all Cooper stuff. At PetSmart stores, their stores and their grooming salons offer digital check-in, curbside drop-off and pickup and contactless payment. 
PetSmart offers free same-day delivery powered by DoorDash through January 31st, 2021. So you can get everything your pet needs right to your door, right when you need it. Of course, PetSmart's associates, if you've been a PetSmart store, you know this. They super love pets and caring for them is a huge part of why they work there. And as an essential retailer since the beginning of the pandemic, PetSmart's made it safe and easy for you to care for your pet too online or in stores. At PetSmart, the health and safety of employees, pet parents, and pets, what's most important, which is why they require face covering, support social distancing, and they've installed plexiglass shields and enhanced cleaning to follow CDC recommendations. And if you're interested in contactless shopping, just order online, PetSmart.com, or on the PetSmart app and enjoy easy curbside pickup or free same-day delivery powered by DoorDash through January 31st, 2021. So you get everything your pet needs right to your door, right when you need it. Check out PetSmart.com for more details. I think our takeaway here, we talked about uh, pets and shopping safely. I think the best thing to do for your family when it comes to safely working through your estate plan, as uh, Larry the Cable Guy says, get her done, OG. I think the phrase get her done. I like it. Comes to mind. And then second, two rules around planning for retirement. One, do something. And then number two, instead of dealing with any of these benchmarks, diving into whether a benchmark is going to help you or not, make your own benchmark because it's fun. It'll get rid of the nerves about whether you're doing enough or not. And that's because it's personalized. And the best news, it ain't that hard. Myra Oliver has uh, quickly become one of my favorite people. She's in the Dallas area, OG, not too far from you, up in Denton, Texas. Just up the road a little bit. Just up the road a piece, as they say, right? Mm -hmm. Originally from Kentucky, started her career as a hairstylist and became a real estate broker, investor, and entrepreneur. In fact, one of our favorite interviews that we did, remember when David Osborne came on, the big real estate guy talking about wealth can't wait? She's good friends with David Osborne. She currently owns multiple Keller Williams Realty franchises. And after earning enough through passive income, through smart saving and real estate investments, she sold her hair salon in her early 30s. Her husband also retired young. And now she details how you can do the same in her new book, Down Home Money. We're going to talk to her about how she did it. It wasn't about learning more, OG. It was getting out there and getting her done. I'm, 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 why am I on Larry the Cable Guy all of a sudden? I was going to say, okay, blue collar comedy tour. <laughs> all right, dude. And I, people can't see us, but I got the lumberjack shirt on today and everything. Like I'm, uh, I'm there. I don't know if it's, it's lumberjack. It's more, uh, Mr. Brawny man. Mr. Manly Man. It's more Elmer Fudd. <laughs> Don't do that while I'm drinking coffee. Thanks. Here she comes, Myra Oliver. And on my dad's shortwave radio, it's my friend Myra Oliver. How are you? I am great, Joe. Thank you so much for having me. Well, How it's, about you? It, How are you? Well, I'm good now that you're here. And it's funny because I said you're my friend. I feel like I've known you forever and we've known each other like five minutes. 
But I, I have to ask your money story, just overall, are you somebody that came from money? Did your parents talk about money? Tell us a little bit about you. No, that would have been so much easier, wouldn't it? But I'm going to tell you the hard way, right? I am actually an ordinary girl from Kentucky. My parents were school teachers. Both my mom and dad worked two jobs and they wanted to make sure that we had everything we wanted and not necessarily what we needed. So growing up, I was a latchkey kid. I'm Generation X and I was a latchkey kid. Seriously, I was home a lot by myself. I moved from Kentucky to Texas and I met a Texan and got married a policeman and I was a hairstylist. My, my grandmother did hair. And of course, my mom and dad, it was either going to be a veterinarian or a hairstylist. Of course. So you know which one my mom and dad wanted, right? <laughs> and, I, and I chose the other. But that was my passion and my God-given talent. And so I uh, bought a hair salon uh, at 20 years old in Dallas, Texas. And so I started my first business then. And, you know, I, my father got really sick with cancer and I was going back and forth to Kentucky to take care of my dad. And I got in major debt. I yeah. mean, major credit card debt. Yeah. I want to, I want to actually stop there. Cause I want to ask you a sure. couple of questions from your book. Number yeah. one, your mom wrote the foreword. She said that you were so good with money though, that she borrowed money from you. She and your dad borrowed money from you. Is that true? Did they borrow money from no, you? Oh, all the time, Joe. And I was getting really good interest rates. Let me that's, just that's say what, that. She said that like you're, yeah. you're gouging your mom. Absolutely. I definitely at a young age, I mean, it was pretty hilarious, but both my brother's sister borrowed money from me and I'm the baby. And my mom would come to me and she'd go, Hey, I need lunch money for Milton Laura. So can you loan me some money? And I was always loaning money to them. And I had a little book and I kept up with it and I'd charge them interest. Nice. You know, a girl's got to do what a girl's got to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. So anyway, you got into debt and weren't managing money that great. And it sounds like what you were leading to is your dad dying kind of was a wake-up call. It was a wake-up call. It helped me realize that I had to stop doing what I was doing because I was digging a hole and the hole was getting deeper and deeper and I wasn't going to be able to get out. And I just decided, and both my husband and I, we, we sit down, I mean, because we were both limited in our incomes. And I think a lot of people feel this way. I mean, a policeman makes what a policeman makes, right? And uh, someone else tells you your worth. And the same thing for cutting hair. I mean, I was cutting hair crazy. I mean, I was working 12 to 14 hour days, but I was limited in the pricing of what my haircuts were and how many I could do every day. So both of us were limited. I found it inspirational too, by the way, that you like cutting men's hair, but you switched to cutting women's hair because you figured out you could make more money that way. Absolutely. And listen, it was all about pretty woman and Julia Roberts and women wanted perms. Everybody wanted curls. So that's what I, I went to. I went towards, okay, so you do what you got to do, right? Where there's a will, there's a way. So I need to make more money. So I'm going to start doing more color and perms and highlights. And so that's what I ended up doing so that we can make more money. You have this phrase, you said you have to be willing to do what others won't to get what others don't have. Where did that come from? I have been saying that for a long time, and I have always felt that way um, in anything that I've done. I just feel like that you've always got to be willing to do what others won't do. 
to get what you want. I mean, because that's the difference. You know, there's a lot of smarter people out there than me. I have a high school, Kentucky high school education has worked out beautifully for me. Let me say that. But I will say that, you know, I'm not the smartest person in the room, but the funny thing is, I fail my way forward. I will continue to fail. I will not quit. And I'm going to figure it out eventually. And I think that that's what has put me where I am today, because I'm just not going to quit. I am going to win. Yes, I'm going to fail a lot before I win. And I want people to understand that, that, that we're all giving in way too soon. You know, you're almost there. You're almost at the finish line and you're quitting. And that's the thing about money that I found is that I, you just have to keep realizing what your purpose is and what your big why and why are you doing this? Um, and when you know that, nothing can stop you. Well, you remind me and you you reference Zig Ziglar in your book. And so you already know this quote, but a lot of our listeners don't. There's that whole thing about the old time. My, my grandparents had one of those old uh, pumps on their farm. And, you know, for people who haven't worked with it, have you heard this, Myra, the Zig Ziglar story about the pump? Yes. Yeah. And he talks about, you had to prime the pump, right? So you pump this, and I remember my brother and I doing this forever when we were kids, you would pump that thing so hard forever and nothing would happen. Nothing would happen. Nothing would happen. Nothing would happen. And then finally, right, probably just after we would have given up if we didn't know what was going to happen, all of a sudden water starts flowing out. And at that point you can take one finger and press down on the pump and the water just keeps flowing out and out and out. And I feel like it's kind of an analogy for what you guys did. Yeah, I love that story. And I have forgotten about that story. So thank you for the reminder. But you're absolutely right. You know, Rick and I just got real purposeful with our money. We realized this is how much money we make. Now, what we do with it is more important than ever. How did you You do that, by the way? What did you cut? Do you remember specifically what you cut? I do. I do. So Rick was a policeman. So we lived at first in an apartment and he traded his time for security at night in the apartment for free rent. Mm. But we acted like we were still paying rent. There were several things we did. I drove junkers of cars and I would pull up in my hair salon. I I used to get the biggest kick out of this and I would have to just kind of debrief every day. I'd pull up and on both sides of me, the girls that worked for me, both of them had brand new cars, right? And at one point, I was driving this old piece of junk Honda that didn't even have a front side seat, right? I had my seat to drive it. You're like, a, no you're like a NASCAR driver. I'm like a NASCAR driver. <laughs> I wish I'd have thought of it like that. I would have felt better about it. But it was done like that because it was a courier's car. And so they took the seats out so that they could put all their all the packages in it. And so anyway, but I was driving that. And I would look at both of them. And they both had new cars. They both wore the finest of clothes and jewelry. And here I was in my Walmart clothes and my old car out front. And I'd go in and I was making way more money than them. I had more clients. I I mean, I was the most successful of the three of us, but I didn't look the most successful, which was great for tips. Let me just say when you're doing hair. (laughs) And that's what I was about. I was about, I'm taking this money and I'm going to do something else with it. I had a, a gentleman that I cut his hair and he gave me the best advice I've ever had with money. And that advice was take your money and do a consistent investment in a retirement plan. And then he explained to me about um, a simplified employee pension. Oh, yeah. Because I was self-employed. And I started doing that. 
And, you know, the exciting thing is I never stopped. I started adding more. And then as years went by, I started making more money. And so because I got into real estate, because I got bored. I mean, I hit my fire number by that age 33. We we officially both quit. I sold my hair salon and my husband quit the police, uh, the police department. And we were retired for three years and we had a blast. I mean, we traveled, we had fun. But I'm a driver and I'm extremely energetic. I couldn't I tell. Some- I had no idea. <laughs> well, and I just needed something else to do. So I thought I'm going to get my real estate license because it seemed like the people we were buying rental property because we did it through rental property. We bought 10 properties yeah, and we were making about 5,000 a month. And that was our goal for both of us to be able to quit. It took about 13 years. I mean, it doesn't happen fast. And I think people don't really understand that, that, that this is delayed gratification for sure. Yes. Lay the so, groundwork one thing at a time. Yes. And it's one house at a time. I started with 500 net a month and then a thousand, you know, and you progress. It doesn't happen like, boom, we went and bought the houses. We're good. Let's go. Can I ask you about that first house, the move into real estate, obviously two things, as you know, very well, two things beat inflation by a lot, stocks and real estate. And so you decided real estate for the most part, you've got your SEP. So you have some money in stocks, but you decide that real estate was the one for you. And you talk a lot about passive and getting passive investing going that first house. Tell me about getting into that first house. What was the impetus and why did you and Rick decide, you know what, it's time for us to get into real estate? So the the guy financed us. It was $35,000 and he financed us no interest. And so we, and we were living in a free apartment, remember? So this was going to be the first house that we actually moved into and then turned it into a rental after. So the, our first house we moved into, uh, fixed it up while we were living there. And then we moved out, made it a rental. So you did a flip, really? I know I still own it. Well, I oh, owned it over oh, 30 oh, yeah. years. Gotcha. You fixed it up and then you rent. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I've made over 300,000 in the last 30 years. I paid 35,000 for the house. It's now worth probably about a hundred in this market, 200,000. And so the next house, I was sitting in that house looking at the newspaper and there was a house for 18,000. We called the agent. We went, we wrote the contract right there on the spot. And that was our first actual rental. And then we bought several in that neighborhood. And then the coolest thing happened. A lady came while Rick was working on that house, that particular house, the first one. She didn't speak any English. And so this just, I want to show you what can happen because I think we all put limitations on ourselves. And she came to our country, spoke no English. And so she had, and she was trying to tell Rick in Spanish, which my husband didn't understand, was trying to tell him she wanted to buy the house. And Rick was like, no habla. And he didn't understand her. And so she comes back later that afternoon while Rick's still working on the house and brings her son. And he says, my mom has cash. And wants to buy your house and held the paper sack up and asked, you know, how much money do you want for it? And Rick and I were like, it was crazy. And this woman owns, I pulled her up on, on our CAD and she owns like six houses in that yeah. same neighborhood now. Yeah. And she pays cash for every one of them. That's and funny. she irons clothes. Uh, it, it, 25 it's, cents. <laughs> it's so funny, Myra, that you say that. I had a client when I was a, back when I'm a recovering financial planner. And when I was a financial planner, I had this client who came and within two weeks of getting here from Turkey was telling me that he wanted to buy a job. He said, I want to buy a job. So I hooked him up with somebody that helps with resumes, thinking what he really meant was I want to get a job. And he came back and he said, Joe, that was a very nice lady. I really liked her a lot, but you misunderstand me. I want to buy a job. And I realized 
He's been here two weeks, Myra. He has no money. He's got some money tied up in Turkey, but he can't get at it. He has no credit, no money. And he's telling me he wants to buy a business. And within six months, and you and I, we hear excuses all the time, right? Uh, Within six months, he owns a UPS store. Now he owns a chain of UPS stores, but he just like the ability to go get it. I want to go back though, because I really want to dig into a couple of these things. That first house, what was $18,000 was that house? Yes. Did you do that? No money down? Did you guys, had? did you have savings that you put down? Yes. Actually, we were, had saved that money and you're going to die, I tell you this, but we lived in a, what we call a pier and beam house where it has a crawl space. Yeah. So I would bring my tip money. IRS, don't call me. I bring my tip money and I would put it, we had a, we had a hole in our closet. We, oh, we Lord. Dug it. I swear to you, it's hilarious. We're crazy, but we had saved our money and that's how we bought that house. Yes. We paid cash for that one. You paid 18,000 cash for it. Yes, we did. Uh And the next one was 12.5 because this is in the uh, late eighties, early nineties. And there were so many foreclosures and so many HUD foreclosures. Yeah. Yeah. And so there were some really good deals. I mean, we paid 16 for the, for the fourth house. Um, so we bought a lot, really uh, low, uh, but they were in areas that were a little scary. And Rick would go, he would wear his uniform and go collect rent. And it worked beautifully for us. But he'd wear his police uniform. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would tend to work. That yeah. would tend to work. But, it was but, very effective. But I also think that going into any neighborhood, like you did some research about that neighborhood, right? I mean, you knew the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So once you bought one house, you wouldn't have bought a second house if you didn't feel comfortable with the neighborhood. Exactly. I was willing to be in that neighborhood, right? I was willing to have property in that neighborhood and work towards making that a better place for people. Yeah. Yeah. So it's important, you know, you got somebody has to go in there and clean up houses and make them nice so that it will attract people and give them a great safe place to live. You talk about real estate being passive. The interesting thing to me is how do you make it super passive? Because as a landlord, do you have a manager? Do you guys spend time? Because, you know, you hear stories from people. You do. You're in, I mean, you've been in real estate for a long time. People talking about tenants that rip a house apart. I know one of my clients, when I was a financial planner, they owned a duplex and the tenant upstairs got upset with the tenant downstairs. So before they left, they stopped up all the drains, let the water run. And it didn't just hurt the tenant downstairs. It obviously made it a horrible mess for my client, the landlord. How do you make that passive income? So great question. And it becomes passive when you're willing to turn it over to property management. And if you're not, and I don't advise when you're buying your first couple of properties to turn it over to property management, how are you going to learn about the business if you're not in the business? I think it's just important that you learn so that you can be effective, especially if this is a long-term investment for you. Rick, my husband still manages our properties, but he manages it like this now. I mean, we we have a handyman, we have a plumber, we have people because we've been in the business so long and we have so many properties that we can just pick up the phone. Like if one of our tenants calls, like today he had one call and said their shower's leaking. He just calls his plumber, plumber goes, takes care of it and sends us the bill. Yeah. So, you know, there's one phone call made. So it's it's uh, relatively passive, not as passive as dividend income investing, sure. but it, it it's pretty passive for him just because we've been in it so long. We don't freak out over stuff. 
We've learned over the years how to take care of things. And honestly, we've had six evictions in our 30 years of doing this, which is amazing. Wow. Amazing. Wow. We've had one hoarder, which is pretty bad. That cost us about five grand when they moved out to two, five grand to get everything removed from the house. Oh, man. You know, that was a bad experience. That's been 20 something years ago. But I can honestly say um, if you treat it like a business, it'll pay you like a business and you got to take care of people. Every home that we have, I would personally live in. And when people have problems or whatever, we take care of it. Um, We're very proactive. We don't let things sit. And that's why I think that we've done so well with it. I mean, now we don't have any vacancy. We uh, we haven't had any problems right now with, you know, the mortatorm on uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not having any problem. Everybody's paying their rent for us. Um, We don't raise rents a lot and we get good tenants. We honor them with if you take care of our property because we're about, you know, uh, increasing our value and appreciation too. If when you keep people happy, you have great success. And it's been very successful for us. I have to say it truly made us wealthy, our rental properties. I, well, clearly, I mean, when, if you're both able to go at 33, I mean, how how powerful is that when you have enough income coming in that you can start doing what you want to do instead of what you have to do. I want to shift to something we you talked about earlier, which was the two people that work for you with their awesome cars that look like they have more <laughs> money than you. Um, yeah. You talk about in your book, a scarcity mindset versus a growth mindset. And you also talk about though, about surrounding yourself with the right people. You have these two people working with you that were probably nice people, but not the right people when it comes to growing your net worth. How did you go out and find those right people to surround yourself with, those right messages to surround yourself with to keep going? That is a great question. And I think it's so important. You're so right. I mean, you are the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. So choose wisely, right? That's what Jim Rohn said. And so I was also in a network marketing company and I got to see great people speak and I surrounded myself with really great leaders. Um, Inside of that network marketing company, I met several powerful public speakers, uh, one being Nito Quibane. And so they would bring all these speakers in and, and, uh, and it really got me, it really helped me with my mindset. I mean, I bought, and I hate to say this, but it was cassette tapes at the time and CDs, Uh, but you know, it is what it is. And so I would listen to those over and over again. I did the same thing. So I'm with you. Yeah. And I just feel like you've got to feed yourself. It's no different than your health, right? And what you eat and all that. You got to feed your mind. And I'm a big believer in affirmations. I still do them to this day. I drove my husband crazy because my husband is very analytical type personality. And so I drove him nuts because I'm not my mirror in the bathroom. It said, I'm going to be a millionaire. Uh, and I was planning on being a millionaire by the age 30, but it took till 33. So I didn't quite make my goal, but I made it. That's what counts because I told you I fell for it. And so that's, I mean, I just surround myself. And now today, I really uh, surround myself with really happy, joy-filled people, not necessarily wealthy people, because what I've found uh, on my journey is they're not really the happiest, okay? And sometimes people get so caught up in being and consumerism and trying to keep up with the Joneses or the Kardashians, depending on what generation you're in, they don't really enjoy their lives. 
And so I have surrounded myself, especially now where I'm at now, because uh, I really want to be around people that are joy filled and that are helping other people and paying it forward. And um, I'm not chasing success anymore. And I got caught up on that. Okay, so let me be totally transparent. I got caught back in. I got back in working and becoming a real estate agent and had to be number one of that too. And you just get caught back up into that. And then in 2018, well, actually 2016, John Maxwell, I went to one of his seminars. He um, was sitting there and I mean, I promise you, Joe, I felt like he was speaking direct to me. I was on the front row, of course, because that's where you learn it all. And I'm on the front row and he says, you know, that um, success is great, but significance is where it's at. I got chills that day and it never left me. I thought about that all the time. And then in 2018, I just made a decision. I'm going to do everything I've had on my bucket list that I've never stopped to take time to do. And writing a book was one of them. Exercise was another. I just made a decision and it was the best decision I could have ever made. And I did have to change some of the people I was around because some people you're around them, you tend to go towards more, 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 more. And what I've really discovered, because I can have whatever I want now. I mean, I've built a really great passive income and I'm at a place in my life that now I realize that I was probably more happy back in the $5,000. Isn't that funny? Days. Isn't that yes. funny? Yeah. And I'm being really honest. My husband and I have this conversation all the time. When we had worked for that and we were free, right? Free from debt, free from jobs, free from a schedule. That three years, you don't know it when you're in it because you're still thinking, oh, maybe we need more. Or do we have enough? Well, trust me, you have enough. Control your spending and you have enough. Those were probably some of our best days of our lives. Money doesn't buy you happiness. This hit me hard, like when you wrote that in the book, because, and I just read a Tim Ferriss piece from Inc. where he no longer is trying to optimize everything because he asked, and I'm 52, I'm asking myself the same question now, which is these powerful words, to what end? Like, what's the point? I don't know. The older I get, the more I think there's pieces of my life I still want to optimize, but there's a bunch of my life, Myra, that I used to that I really don't care about optimizing anymore. I just want to yes. enjoy it. Yeah. And when you wrote yes. that, I'm like, she's she's right there. Yes. And that is exactly where I'm at. I mean, honestly, I could live in a tiny house. Yeah. Because as long as I have Izzy and Rick. Because what I really, I read that book. What is it? The Five Biggest Regrets of the Dying. Yeah. You got to tell everybody who Izzy is first. Oh, Izzy's my chihuahua. (laughs) She's over on my couch too, sitting there looking at me right now. But Izzy is my chihuahua. She's just the cutest thing ever. So she's our little girl. She, listen, she goes on every plane ride with us. She goes everywhere. She's platinum with American Airlines. (laughs) And so as long as they're with me, because really when you start asking yourself questions and what I found is when you start asking yourself what gives you joy, you're going to find None of it is related to money. And that is fascinating. And none of us sit down and take the time to really, really evaluate that. And that, I think once you start doing that, you start realizing, and I coach some people that are, you know, um, my generation and they're moving forward towards retirement and stuff. And they got caught up on that um, treadmill of success or money. They're realizing it. There's so many people realizing it. Now I'm going to tell you, the millennials have already figured it out. They're way ahead of us. They figured out that they rather have experiences than stuff. 
Yeah. And so I'm so proud of them. And so that's another reason that I think the book really hits home because I think that when people realize that money can only buy you stuff, it's the relationships in your life that really will fulfill you. That's just where I'm at in my life. And it's just really interesting because I drive a five-year-old car. My husband said to me the other day, he goes, let's go buy you a new car. I go, why? Mine still smells new when you get in. <laughs> I mean, come on. Why? You know, what do, What do you, more do you need? You know, I, I laugh. One of my girlfriends sent me a picture of a purse she was going to buy. And I sent her back, of course. And this is why she sent it to me. I sent her back. I said, I'd rather have the money that you're getting ready to pay for that purse in my wallet. And she sent me back. She goes, you said exactly what I thought. I'm not buying it. Because bam, you know what I mean? You yes. Because her other friend said, oh, my gosh, you've got to have that. Get it in two colors. <laughs> <laughs> right? Absolutely. So I get to be that friend that people call when they, when, you know, they need that uh, compass. That, Getting you off the ledge. spending compass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, everybody's different. And uh, I think when you can't afford it, you don't necessarily want it anymore. I think that completely is. What I really like about the book is that you take us all through not only your own journey, but you help people with their budget, getting their foundation in order, telling the stories about some of the mistakes that you and Rick made so that people don't make the same mistakes. The book is called Down Home Money, A Simple Approach to Financial Freedom. And where, where do we get it, Myra? You can get it on Amazon and in a couple of weeks, uh, Audible will be out on Amazon. Awesome. So that'll be great. And then I have a YouTube channel, uh, Down Home Money. You know, it's once a week. It's very casual. Um, but I think that everybody needs a friend that they talk to once a week when they're on a financial journey, especially when they're trying to reach financial independence. I think it's cool to have a friend that you can just tune into for eight to 10 minutes a, a week, who's just going to remind you why you're doing this, because there are big things happening on the other side of this. And I think that you got to have that friend, phone a friend. So I just tell people, dial me up on, on down on money. And I will be glad to be that friend if you haven't got one, because what I find is the people I talk to say that the hardest part is that they're friends that are not doing you know, they're not saving their money or not working towards this. They kind of pull them back in, yep. you know, to spending. And so they kind of need that person going, it's okay if you, you know, just say no. You are the people you surround yourself with, like you said earlier. Myra, thanks for taking a few minutes. And by the way, everybody, I'll link to Myra's YouTube channel, to the book, to everything that we talked about today on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Myra, thanks so much for taking time and talking to us. I really appreciate it. That's some powerful stuff. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Hey, trivia fans. I'm your pal, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Wasn't that chat with Myra Oliver really something? It really got me thinking. I'm pretty well covered with my stock market investments. I've had 10% of my lucrative podcast host salary going into stocks for years now. Now I think it's time to move on to the next big asset class real estate, of course. Before I tell you my master plan, let's get to today's trivia. What is the name of the report that is published by the Federal Reserve eight times a year in which they covered broad elements of the economy, often known for its color? I'll be back with your answer faster than you can find your next investment property.
Well, last year alone, OG, false declines cost the U.S., the U.K., French, and German markets $20.3 billion. And in case you don't know what a false decline is, that's what happens when an online purchase is declined when it should have been accepted. I've had that happen a frustrating amount of time. I'm like, really? And it's often the result of technical, financial, or fraud scoring reasons. And that's why if your business takes payments online, you need a modular solution that flexes to your needs and provides you with granular data to better optimize your payments. You need checkout.com. And here's the thing, OG. If you're somebody who is an entrepreneur, you have a checkout system, you get somebody all the way to the point that they have the cart full and they're ready to go. How frustrating is it to lose that business just because of the fact that you couldn't check them out because of a technical issue. When you look at checkout.com, they have not only awesome fraud protection, but also you can choose the ideal integration option for you. They have international coverage. So if you're working with people overseas, and by the way, this is when I usually get caught as a customer. On your trip in Bavaria. I know. <laughs> no, I get caught on, oh, that's in the UK. Yeah, uh, we're going to decline that. Did you just want to buy something from the UK? Uh, yes, yes, I did. Not only that, you also get unrivaled data and insight into your customers and into the process. And everything is unified. If your whole system doesn't dovetail, that's number one for any company when it comes to not just avoiding problems, but also to pleasing your customers. Checkout.com's unified purpose-built payments platform gives you the insight you need so you can optimize the customer experience, get more out of every transaction, and gain a granular understanding of how cash flows in and out of your business so you can innovate, adapt to your markets, create outstanding customer experiences, and make smarter decisions faster. And that's why brands across the globe like TransferWise, we've had them on the show, Klarna, Revolut, Farfetch, and Grab, Trust, Checkout.com. Learn more at checkout.com slash SB, where you can download their free white paper report. You're going to love this report. Black boxes and paradoxes, the cost of disconnected payments to get forward thinking advice around how to build a strong payments mandate across your business, innovate and keep pace within a fast moving digital and customer context. It's checkout.com slash SB, checkout.com slash SB. If you pay your credit cards off every month, like you should, you want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. And how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing because of all the places Discover's accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report. Limitations apply. Hey, stackers, it's the future real estate tycoon, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. As you well know, I'm pretty loaded and all, but I've been sinking so much into my 401k that I don't even exactly have a lot of liquid cash for my first real estate venture. So get this. Do you know how many closets Joe's mom has in this place? I mean, more than she'll ever be able to use, that's for sure. So my master plan... Yep, I'm going to rent out her closets for the kind folk of Texarkana. You can store whatever you want. 
as long as it fits in a closet, of course, before you know it. I'm going to leverage this into buying a whole city block. I've truly done it again. I have figured the puzzle out. Before I go put up the listing, let's get back to today's trivia. The question was, what is the name of the report that is published by the Federal Reserve eight times a year in which they cover broad elements of the economy, and it's often known for its color? If you guessed the really exciting name of the Beige Book, you'd be right. If you want to read the next version of the Beige Book, it'll be coming out March 3rd. All right, time for me to get these closets in order and ready to be listed. See ya. Big thanks to Myra Oliver. You know, OG, two things struck me. Number one, just decided. Just one day woke up and decided. I'm going to do things differently. I was going to say, it's super powerful to put that stuff behind you when you decide to do something in your soul, in your gut, and you go, yeah, this is what I'm doing from now on, or I'm not doing that ever again. And you and you cut off any other possible outcome. You burn the boats, as they say. You and I even, maybe not burn the boats, but we did that with this podcast. I mean, we spent too much time. And I still go back to maybe the 10 months that we didn't make this podcast just because we were so worried about, well, we don't know enough about this. How do you get it into people's ears? Like, how does that whole thing work? Turns out it's not nearly as hard as we thought it was, right? Super complicated. <laughs> it is super good. Yes, you did. Well, let's be clear. We're not trying to keep you out of podcasting. You just don't want to swim that moat. The thing that I always find interesting about new podcasters is they're like, so what microphone do you use? Maybe I need to study like what the technology is. And that's like, and I'm going to steal a phrase I heard a friend of mine use. He's like, that's like asking Michelangelo, hey man, what paintbrush did you use to do that? Like it ain't about the paintbrush. Oh, I remember when you were an advisor, this happened to me. I got caught in it for a little bit and, and you might've also, but those who got out of it were more successful than those who didn't. Yeah, I can't do any like new client stuff until I read the Wall Street Journal. Right. And I should probably read all of them like since 1940, just to be safe, and uh, get some magazine subscriptions. And I'm going to watch CNBC. And then once I feel, well, I should get my CFP first. Uh, you know, I should go, I should go to, you know, learn more about this product. I'm going to go to this, this course to learn about this. this. Yeah. I had to read the Motley Fool. The new Motley Fool book was out and I thought they were, before I have any expertise (laughs) and they were the hot thing. Susie Orman was just, you know, on PBS all the time. I had to watch all her stuff. Mm -hmm. Had to see how all these people, yeah, yeah, I'm just gonna, and then I'll call somebody. And then, then maybe I'll go do some work. Make it happen. But the second thing that struck me was when Myra said, why am I still doing this? Like, I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy this anymore. And this is, I feel like, OG, that's a shot across the bow to anybody who tries to do this financial independence, I'm going to retire super early thing, and they lock themselves into a lifestyle that they have to continue because they didn't save enough money to do anything else. Myra's at the point where she's got millions of dollars and she's running this race and she doesn't love running the race. And she realizes the only reason, I mean, I, I just love the fact that now she's looking inward and going, you know what? Why am I still doing this? My happiest time was when I was just fixing up my own houses. Why am I out doing 50 other things instead of that? Yeah. Just what, what makes you happy? I think we think about what we should be doing, 
And to her credit, she says, I hang around with uber successful people and they make me get really excited about doing all this uber successful stuff. And then I realize none of this makes me, <laughs> makes me happy. I'm just doing it because everybody around me is doing it, which I mean, there's a lesson there too, right? Surround yourself. If, if you feel like you need to go faster, surround yourself with those people who are moving fast. Right. Yep. Good stuff. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline. OG and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Oh, uh, 1000%. It is uh, whey protein shakes. Oh, and uh, do those taste good? It's not about taste, Joe. It's about execution. And you put a little Jack Daniels in those? Sadly, yes. But you have to put, you have to get ready for flip flop season. So, you know, flip flop. Is that where your belly goes? Flip flop as you're walking down the beach? No, maybe not. It's actually your loved ones and your time, but Hey, your loved ones with your flip flops. I can see that. Uh, That's why they've made buying quality term life insurance. Actually simple. You know, we say get on it when it comes to your will and get your estate plan done, get on it with your life insurance. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life right now. Pause this podcast. Get your free quote, stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. You're going to find that instead of this really complicated 50-page life insurance application, it's simple. It's easy. They've gotten rid of all the baloney questions that nobody cares about anyway. And you'll get an instant coverage decision. Prices are affordable. Customer service is lovely. And of course, they're backed by the more than 160-year-old insurance company, Mass Mutual. So your company's there when you need it. Today, we're going to throw out the lifeline to our new friend, Josh. Say hi, Josh. Hi, Joe and OG. I have a question about my 2020 Roth IRA contributions. If I pay taxes in January, can I still make 2020 Roth IRA contributions up until tax day 2021? My thinking is that I'll be paying taxes on Roth contributions either way, so it shouldn't matter. That said, I'd rather get my IRA contributions right than have to deal with the IRS down the road. And for context, the reason I'd like to hold off on my retirement contributions for 2020 for now is that I have some opportunities on the horizon and I'd like to keep as much optionality in my finances for as long as possible. Thanks. Love that, Josh. Love the flexibility in the plan. Wouldn't it suck though if we said no, you had to do it by December 31st (laughs) and we're answering it on January 11th. Uh, No, you missed that opportunity, but- Well, I mean, it also sounds like he wants to get his taxes done early, right? The rule is, is that you have to have it funded by your tax filing deadline or when you file your taxes, whichever comes first. So you can't have your cake and eat it too. If you want to have some flexibility in your plan because, hey, I might need some cash and I might do this thing, fine. Just wait on filing your taxes till as late as possible. And frankly, that also works the other way. What happens if you use the cash and then you want to do the thing with the opportunity and now you don't have the cash? Do you take the money out of the Roth then and now you got to redo your taxes? Yeah, that's ugly. that's really ugly. That's that's worse than just waiting. And by tax filing deadline, you're not talking about the extensions. Like you can't make that in October. No. April 15th, yep, is the last day or when you file your taxes. Now, not tax advice, bolded, underlined. Entertainment only. In parentheses. Uh, there's a subset paragraph, blah, 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 blah. I've not known the IRS to go back and check your deposits of Roth IRA contributions to look to see if they were indeed prior to your tax filing. 
but I do know that they're going to know if they were done before April 15th. Yeah. Because the uh, uh, brokerage company sent a letter to the IRS called a 5498. You get a copy of it usually in May that says, here's how much Bill put in, or here's how much Josh put in his in his Roth last year, and that's dated as of April 15th. So talk to a CPA, talk to a tax advisor to see what they think about it. I think the way it's written, it says tax filing deadline or your or your personal taxes, whichever comes earlier. I think in practicality, if you can get somebody to sign off on it that's smarter than a podcast guy with a bag on his head, you might have some more flexibility. Thanks for the question, Josh. And uh, it's that time By the of way, year again. I didn't, put, I, didn't, I didn't put the bag on my head on purpose. Joe made me. Yeah, well, I got to sit here across the table from you every day. And you were blinded by my attractiveness, which is why you did it. I understand. Well, now it fits too with social distancing, you know? <laughs> I, know. I mean, it's impressive how fashion forward. Yeah. From the beginning. It's like you saw it coming. Everybody else trying to get there. You were already there early. Uh, if you've got a question like Josh has for us, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. Super easy. Just if you've got a microphone, uh, which you will on your phone, if you dial that up on your phone, stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. Ask us a question and uh, you see OG has a very succinct answer for you. I know Doug's about to do the thank yous uh, for the show, but thanks for spending time here at the top of the week again with us, peeps. We love that you're here. Thanks to everybody who hangs out with us online, whether it's people we chat with on Twitter or Instagram or in our Facebook group, The Basement, which generally is dad joke heaven. Big thanks for deciding to spend some time with us. 2021, I think, is going to promise to be quite a year for our community, and we're glad that you're a part of it. And lastly, after a year like we had in 2020 of maybe a little bit of uh, economic chaos, or could we just call it, OG, you think we could call it total economic chaos? Could we call it that? Yeah, can. I think that uh, you deserve to hear an objective sound opinion from a friend you can trust. I know that uh, OG for me, is that friend. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG to get on he and his team's calendar to see how they might be able to make your financial planning better for you and your family in 2021 and beyond. All right, that's going to do it for today. Mr. Doug, you got it from here. So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our headlines. Benchmarks, they're just a starting point, not your end goal personalize your retirement planning based on your situation and you'll be much happier with your outcome. Second, take a lesson from Myra Oliver. Anyone can retire early. She was a hairdresser and her husband was a cop and they did it. So can you. But the big takeaway, Zillow doesn't have an option to list closet space. What are the chances that Joe's mom will sign the house over to me so I can just List the whole thing for real. I mean, let's just, it's going to get to that point anyway. I mean, let's just skip to where we all know this is headed. Yeah, I got it all figured out. Special thanks to Myra Oliver for joining us on the show. You'll find her book, Down Home Money, wherever books are sold. This show is created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rudder-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, 
visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I just jumped the shark. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. I have one episode to go of a show that I really am excited about. And I'm not even going to play a clip uh, from the, from the show. I'll give it a, maybe give it a review here in the future. I haven't heard anybody really talking about it. I found out that uh, Disney it's on Disney plus. I found out that Disney. No, everybody's seen the Mandalorian Joe. It's not a secret. The Mandalorian is pretty damn cool. It is. It, it That's is. not what you're talking about? No. I know. It's a joke. I'm trying to be funny. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> I got <laughs> to uh, keep up. Uh, this show is, is it, it's the right stuff. People may remember either the Tom Wolf novel or they might remember this movie from, I think it was in the 90s, that was just like four hours long. Just long thing. Maybe that's why people aren't. I don't know. People aren't watching it, but I'm not hearing a lot about it. We're on episode seven of eight of the first season. It is so good. It's about the Mercury program and the U S trying to get into space and it tracks all these astronauts and their families. And what's amazing to me is that when I watch the right stuff, I don't remember what a holes (laughs) the astronauts were that were in this program. I mean, these were some flawed individuals that were, that were part of this. And, uh, this really focuses on these characters and Alan Shepard and John Glenn, the two best known astronauts, maybe you could put Gus Grissom in there. I I was supposed from the Mercury program. Those two guys though, Shepard and Glenn, came at the world from completely different places. Um, but for both of them, man, their egos, uh, which I think you would have to have quite an ego, right? I mean, number one, you're a test pilot. Uh, yeah. So to get to the top of the, of the test pilot program takes a little testosterone. But then number two, knowing that you could die at any second, so being completely in control and being able to handle it, that pressure all the time, Cheryl went through and looked at these astronauts to see how many of their marriages survived later. 
because there's so much drama on this show about these astronauts' home life, and uh, very few of their marriages survived. Most of them ended up divorced later on. And, and, and you can see it just between the intense pressure, the fact that these are normal dudes who all of a sudden are idolized by everybody and their brother. Everybody thought the astronauts were gods. And um, just, just, just amazing. And I may have mentioned this earlier, but um, as I was flipping through the end of the episode, I noticed that Leonardo DiCaprio is one of the names behind this. And I think you can see it with the attention to characters. And it's funny because when I first started this series, I didn't like any of the characters. And now I'm not sure that I like them, but I find them compelling. Like I really, John Glenn, what John Glenn does, like I get it. And I find him so compelling. And Alan Shepard's the same. These guys all with their inner demons that everybody sees. Mm-hmm. But that, and frankly, they see, they see them too, but they don't care. You know, Alan Shepard knows that everybody thinks he is the world's biggest jerk. And, and he's a-okay with that. Because he's an astronaut. Yeah. And he wants to be the first man in space. And uh, they're all fighting for that. And of course, John Glenn wanted to be the first person in space. And uh, I won't spoil it. You can go look at any history book to find out what really happened. But man, walking you through it. And then, of course, you have uh, President Kennedy really stepping up and saying, this is going to be a race to the moon and looking at some of the political stuff going on at the time. Because, you know, we have a tendency to idolize these things and, and why they happen. And even though it was a great time for America getting behind the space program, really the machinations of what was going on at the time and the fact that Kennedy's pretty backed into a corner where the, we're going to have to do this gives you a whole different view of history, which, which was f- just the right stuff is so fascinating. I don't know. I find the whole astronaut. I like history, so I'm going to watch it. Yeah, the program. Yeah, I think you'd really love it. Sadly, there's explosions. Yeah. Well, in that case, it is sadly there's explosions. Yes. Yeah. There's just high drama with, of course, all of this stuff happening with the Soviets and and the U.S. But also, I had Karen, our producer, block off in February when the Mars lander finally gets there. I don't know if you remember last summer when the Mars lander took off. It's going to reach Mars on February 18th. And I can't wait to wait for the next round of that stuff. Man, the space things, SpaceX, all that stuff. You watch any of those, OG? I don't understand the big excitement over, you know, the Mars thing. I mean, Matt Damon's already been there. So, (laughs) I mean, he was left there for a long time and he got back. I mean, he he teaches, I don't know, biology or something like that at MIT, I think, last I saw. But, um, uh, you could just ask him what it's like. Yeah. But no, I did find it interesting that they, I don't know, it was a SpaceX thing or a Tesla thing or something, but, you know, they launched a rocket and then it exploded coming back. And I'm like, oh my goodness, it exploded. They're like, no, that's great. It made it like an extra two miles than we thought. Right. We thought it was going to explode way up there and exploded way over there. So that's really good. I know. <laughs> and there was nobody in it, so. Well, yeah, that's that's obviously the benefit. I mean, that's really... I think that's the underappreciated advancement of all of this is that like the stuff that you're learning about or watching right now about the program in the fifties and sixties and seventies involve people getting in there and going, I don't know, Bill, press the button and see if we go to space or we 
blow up in a fireball. Like one of those two things are going to happen. Maybe both, you know, but now they can do all that crap like automatically with like remote controls and drones and go, we got it. You know what I mean? Like it eliminates a lot of the, doesn't completely eliminate it, but it lowers the, the human risk associated with it, which is just kind of cool. I will check it out. The right stuff. Got it. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.